Welcome to Talking Brains. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Sarkis at stephaniesarkis.com. In this episode, I'll be talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect, a cognitive bias where people think their cognitability is greater than it is. Please do us a favor and click that subscribe button. Give Talking Brains a five-star rating. It's appreciated. Enjoy the podcast. So I title this podcast and also the corresponding Psychology Today article, uh, You're Really Not That Smart, The Dunning-Kruger Effect, or other people that think they're smart aren't really that smart, The Dunning-Kruger Effect. So how do you get through to someone that doesn't admit or can't admit that they don't know everything about something? So the reason why I'm covering this is that when I posted the last episode of Talking Brains on Imposter Syndrome, uh, someone on my Facebook page said, well, what's the name for the opposite behavior of imposter syndrome when someone thinks they know more than they actually do? And there's really a name for it. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's a cognitive bias named for two authors of a journal article that described how people overestimate their competence or cognitive abilities and don't realize their errors and they can't realize their errors. The issue isn't that people make poor choices from erroneous conclusions. It's also that they're unable to recognize those errors. That's an important part of it. So not only do they make faulty decisions, but they're unable to recognize those decisions are faulty and they're unable to recognize that their cognitive processes are faulty. It's similar to the cognitive bias of illusory superiority. So we're going to talk about different components of the Dunning-Kruger effect. So we're going to break it down to parts. First is lack of knowledge. So in the Dunning-Kruger effect, the less someone knows about a topic, the more they're likely to have strong opinions about the topic. This means that if you're arguing a point with someone that has beliefs that are not rooted in facts, that person will stick to their opinion even when presented with evidence to the contrary. That person will also disregard expert opinions. The person may tell you that the expert opinion is quote-unquote fake, the expert was quote-unquote paid off to give that opinion, or he or she may just talk over you so you can't get your facts heard. Uh, You may have seen this on certain um, news shows. You'll see political people that are being asked some pretty heavy questions, fact-based questions. And one of the tactics they do is they talk over the newscaster. They talk over the interviewer so the interviewer can't get a word in edgewise. So that's actually a tactic to uh, disarm or take power away from the interviewer uh, and also distract from the fact that they don't have a good answer uh, to the question. So Again, you may be arguing with someone that is really holding to a position that does not have any basis in fact or truth. And again, a way for them to avoid having to look at the fact that they have faulty belief systems is that they'll just talk right over you and hope that you back down. A classic example of this is during the holidays, you have family members get together that otherwise may not see each other that often. And there's usually a topic of politics that comes up or religion or some other hot button issue. And you'll see there's usually a couple people that their method of arguing their point is to talk over everyone. And again, they may give erroneous information. And the more that they're presented with factual information, the more the person sticks to their erroneous information. Again, they feel like they know more than what the experts do. So also you may have an issue of they're telling you to prove your point by proving that something didn't happen. And you can't prove that something didn't happen. 
So you walk away frustrated and the other person just entrenched in their beliefs. So that's why it's usually not a good idea when you get together for the holidays to talk about topics like politics or religion, because it usually winds up getting into a fight. And also there's alcohol involved, which does not make things better. So also keep that in mind. Again, when you confront someone with their lack of knowledge and their misinformation, they will get further entrenched in it. So you may have gotten a point where you have a very researched opinion on something and you have data behind it and you have citations behind it and you know a lot about what you're talking about and you confront somebody that is spreading misinformation. Now keep in mind the Dunning-Kruger effect, they don't realize that they're spreading misinformation. They can't admit that they're doing it. So they actually believe that they have more knowledge than the expert. So again, you come armed with all this information, you, you confront them and they walk away being even more entrenched. That can be very frustrating. So also people that have a Dunning-Kruger effect means that people endorse erroneous information if it fits their opinion. So if you think that Muppets are bad and you see someone that's biased, and let's say Muppets are inherently good. There's all this research saying Muppets are good. And you have one person saying Muppets are bad, and that's just kind of your opinion of it. You tend to believe that person, even though they don't have Muppet training or they're not a Muppet expert over someone that is a Muppet expert because it fits your cognitive belief set. So misinformation endorsement means that someone doesn't do their work in researching sources to see if they're legitimate. It also means that independent research isn't done, so beliefs are not challenged by other information. So again, misinformation endorsement means that when people have the Dunning-Kruger effect going, again, they think they're superior to other people intellectually and that they know more than other people. And anything that challenges that is a threat to them. So again, they will see solid research as something that's, they'll call it fake or they'll call it uh, biased or that someone was paid off to create the research. I was sitting on a plane flight next to uh, someone that I didn't know at the time was really big in the therapy world that he created a theory. Uh, and I didn't realize who he was at the time. And so we're talking about ADHD. So I, and for some reason, I think airlines just, I don't know if this is a universe or what, but a lot of times I'm put next to someone that, um, that has ADHD or doesn't believe it exists. So it's like one or the other. There's no like middle ground. So I'm talking to this guy on the plane and finds out I specialize in ADHD and he says, well, that doesn't exist. And I said, but there are brain scans that show that it exists. And he says, no, those are, those are just colored in by doctors. Those aren't real. And this is a man that later on I found out had a pretty good reputation in the therapeutic community for creating a particular theory. Now the theory that he created, I didn't endorse because I felt that it was almost borderline cruel to people. So that just was not my thing. So uh, it was really interesting to see someone that, that here's a person that had a PhD in something. I'm assuming he had a PhD. I haven't looked. He's since passed away, but, um, uh, so I, I was really surprised to find that he was telling me with a totally straight face that doctors had colored in MRIs. 
And when I asked him, I said, what do you mean they colored him in? He goes, you know, they just, you know, they just colored him in themselves. And he was completely serious. And at that point, I knew, you know what, there's no arguing with this person because they're, they're so far off the spectrum in knowing what's reality that it was not worth going into it any further. And again, this is someone that was, you know, supposedly pretty well educated. So that would be, actually, that's a really good example of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Here's someone that felt that he was more of an expert on brain scans than neurologists, than um, other researchers, and uh, really kind of boggled my mind. So, uh, and again, he had this, this counseling theory that, um, and I guess I probably shouldn't, I want to tell you who it is, but I feel like I probably shouldn't tell you who it is. Um, I don't know. Again, he's not here anymore. So, uh, but the theory that he kind of espoused was one where if you're doing a thing, it, that that thing is your fault. That, that instead of like cognitive behavioral therapy, and solution focus. So that's, those are the ones I usually do. So cognitive behavior therapy, if you're doing something that's not in your best interest, we kind of look at what your faulty thinking processes are. And in this theory, uh, it's, it's, well, if you're doing the thing, stop doing the thing, which in concept is pretty, you know, simple, but you don't go to therapy because you just need to stop something. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, you go, yeah, because you need to maybe change some behaviors, but we need to take a look at why you're doing those behaviors to change it. Um, I think punishing people for doing a behavior is not helpful. So it's just kind of interesting that his idea of how ADHD wasn't real and that, that MRI has been filled in kind of went with his counseling theory, which is you don't have a disorder. You just, you know, are screwed up and you are wrong about stuff. And you just need to fix that, which again, I didn't think was very helpful. And I remember when we were learning different therapeutic techniques in, in training, when I, we talked about this one theory, I just did not connect with it at all. I thought it was very punishing. So, uh, so Dunning-Kruger effect, I guess that also went into his theory that he felt that his theory, um, that he knew more than the people did why they did stuff which now I'm putting it together, that makes sense that he would also not believe experts in a field because he felt he was the expert in everyone's behavior. So that's just a little tidbit of someone I sat next to on a plane once. Um, and that was, wow, that was about 15, 20 years ago. And I remember it very clearly because here, and I, you know, who, I think I asked who he was because he said, oh, well, I'm, he said, I'm a, I'm a blah, 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 blah. I forget what his actual title is, like what his professional is. Uh, I'm a blah, blah, and you know, my, my, my research knowledge tells me that, that, you know, and there's proof that these MRIs have been colored in. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what's going on with this guy? So I'm like, should I call, should I call for help you know, on the airplane or something? So, uh, and it, and so I asked him what his name was and he told me, and I knew exactly who he was at that point uh, because this name had become synonymous with this theory. So uh, later on, I looked up on, I think it was like Google Scholar or Google, I think, yeah, Google was around 15, 20 years ago, right? Okay. So I looked it up on, online and he hadn't done any research in this area. And he was telling me he did all this research on this and that's how I knew these the MRIs were colored in. So uh, just a little interesting side 
uh, thing that Dunning-Kruger effect has nothing to do with your education level or your IQ. Uh, so it's not just people that, that maybe are ignorant. It's people that can appear to be knowledgeable that still get very entrenched in their opinions. So, so that's just a little side note of uh, an example of that in action. So, so also if you have erroneous cognitive beliefs and they're reinforced by your social groups, you're more likely to stick with those. So, uh, there's a city Wellington in South Florida that when I lived in South Florida, I remember that, um, that they had fluoride taken out of their water because there was a group that was, um, uh, pushing to have fluoride removed because they felt it was toxic and blah, blah, blah. So, and the fluoride was removed and eventually it was put back in. Now, if you are a powerful person in the community and you are espousing these views and you have a lot of social clout, it's very easy for other people to fall in line with that, especially if there's social pressure. And especially if, if someone feels a strong reason to belong. So, Again, if you're surrounded by people who have the same views as you, you're more likely to stick to those views and you don't want to be what's called the outlier. You don't want to be the one that challenges it if, if you don't have a real strong sense of self or if there's a really high rate of you being ostracized if you go against this. So a community's opinions can become the social norms. So that means that if it's strong enough, you won't go against it because that has social ramifications for you. And this is also, this belief system is what's normal in the community. I think I mentioned that Wellington eventually did put fluoride back on their water. So uh, also, again, going against the predominant views of one's group risks you being ostracized or being singled out kind of from the pack. So uh, when you are talking with someone about their views, and again, they're very entrenched in a, in a wrong opinion, keep in mind that this wrong opinion may be shared by a majority of their community or the news that they watch or um, their family set. And again, having even thinking about the fact that it's a different opinion is very difficult because it's been so ingrained. So also uh, people that have the, the experience of Dunning-Kruger effect think they know more than experts. So there's a study by uh, three researchers named Mata, Callahan, and Sylvester, and that was published in 2018. So it was found that one third of study subjects thought they knew as much or more than doctors and scientists about the causes of autism. This rate was highest in people that had low levels of knowledge about autism and high levels of misinformation endorsement. So let me just recap that for you. So one third of people in the study thought they knew as much or more than doctors and scientists about what caused autism. These are people that uh, were anti-vaccination. So this rate of thinking that they knew more than doctors and scientists was highest in people that had low levels of knowledge about autism and high levels of misinformation endorsement. And again, misinformation endorsement means that you will endorse erroneous information if it fits your opinion. You don't do the work to see if your sources are legitimate. It means that you don't do your own independent research. So in addition to this study, researchers found that low knowledge and high misinformation was correlated with opposition to mandatory vaccine policies. So researchers found, again, that having a low amount of knowledge about autism and a high level of misinformation was connected to their strength of opposition to mandatory vaccination policies. 
They were also more likely to support non-experts and experts on matters of policy. And in one article I, I read, it talked about how uh, Jenny McCarthy uh, was talking about how she felt that va- um, uh, vaccines cause autism in her son and how uh, sometimes she is seen as more of an expert than people actually specialize in autism and specialize in pediatrics, developmental pediatricians, because she supports their view. And as far as I know, she still backs that view, I believe. Uh, So again, you're more likely to endorse someone that is not a specialist in the field, but maybe has other status, like they're famous uh, in something else. And you'll take their opinion on more than the experts because it matches your beliefs. So the other thing about this is that, again, like I mentioned, you can't argue with people that are experiencing the Dunning-Kruger effect because they will get more entrenched. They'll tell you that your research-backed information, your knowledge base is fake, uh, it's biased, uh, and it really doesn't get you anywhere. So And to add to that, the more emotionally charged you are about your topic, even though you come aimed with facts, the other person becomes even more entrenched. And so that's difficult. Like uh, vaccination is a hot topic for me. So I'm I'm very pro-vaccination. And reading the misinformation that people put out about vaccines just kind of drives me nuts. (laughs) So uh, I would not argue with someone that's anti-vaccine because... It just would be kind of pointless. And that's something that I would get really fired up about. And the more you know about Dunning-Kruger, you know, the more that you get fired up about something, the more the person with that believes their superiority in this area, um, the more they get entrenched. So, you know, nobody really wins. You're not persuading the other person. You're just getting more upset. So keep that in mind. And, And that idea of the opposing person's argument being more emotionally loaded or charged, and that makes a person and more entrenched. That was uh, found in a study in 2014 by Nyan, Reifler, and Richie and Freed. So again, the more emotional you are, you're presenting your factual argument, the more the Dunning-Kruger effect makes the other person entrenched in their inability to realize that their beliefs are faulty. So also anyone susceptible to this. So it it could be that you experience Dunning-Kruger effect in some topics, but not in others. Uh, Nobody's really immune from it. So like I mentioned before, you can be well-educated in something and have a high IQ and still experience the Dunning-Kruger effect on topics that you are not an expert on, but you think you are. Uh, So it could be that someone's an expert in one area, so they think they're an expert in another area. Uh, But anybody's prone to this. So... When you are of a certain profession, it doesn't mean that you can follow the counsel of a fellow professional. So there's a study by Frakes, Gruber, and Gina in in 2019, and they found that physicians were only slightly more likely to follow a medication regimen than non-physicians. So uh, that kind of speaks to the Dunning-Kruger effect is, let's say you're not an orthopod that does orthopedic stuff like like um, bones and hands and stuff. So that's, that's being really overgeneralizing. I'm, I apologize, my orthopod. Uh, but 
if you are a specialist in some other area of medicine, you think that the that you know more than the orthopod does, even though you specialize in like hematology, like the study of blood. So, and I'm not picking on hematologists by any means. Uh, so keep that in mind that you could be well-educated in a subject, but still be unable to realize or process the fact that you are not knowledgeable about another field. And one could argue that this ties in with narcissism. It's narcissism, you have the feeling that you have special rights, that you're better than everyone else. And I could see how this could correlate with that, that you think that you're the end all be all, that you know all the answers, that you're the expert on things. Um, I have had narcissists in my office that told me that they knew how to do therapy better than I did. Um, and, and, you know, you just kind of go, okay. <laughs> so, because you can't really argue with narcissism, just like you can't really argue with some of Dunning-Kruger effect because they're so entrenched in their beliefs. So now we're going to talk about how to deal with this when you have someone that you're talking to, or let's say you're trying to educate people that are falling under the Dunning-Kruger effect. So information from professionals doesn't seem to make a dent in entrenched beliefs, and neither does presenting empirical evidence or data in a really rational way. And presenting evidence in a way that sends a message that you can't believe someone that doesn't believe facts doesn't really help. So what does work when someone is unable to admit that they lack information or incorrect? So find out why someone believes something. And I usually say, you know, meet someone where they're at. Find out what their belief system is and where they got to it. So it's not so much about the data you're presenting as to how it's being presented to someone. So a great example of this can be found in Buster Benson's book, Why Are We Yelling? The Art of Productive Disagreement. And Buster is actually going to be a, a guest in the podcast uh, later this month. So uh, Buster gathered a group of people that had various opinions on gun control. And by the end of the evening, everyone expressed their opinions and they all left in friendly terms. So how did Buster do that? Because gun control is something, especially in the U.S., that there are very polarizing views about it. So first, he provided food to the group. So never underestimate the power of food to bring a group together. In fact, I have an article on Forbes Online uh, where I'm a contributor and I write a whole article about how food is so important when you have a meeting and you're talking about intense topics. Like, uh, for example, in collaborative divorce, uh, we have um, each parents at the table along with their uh, legal representative, their attorney, and a financial representative, and then a mental health professional chairs the meeting. So uh, we always bring food because food's one of those things that, you know, the breaking bread together concept, uh, that food usually brings people together. Uh, it's a communal experience. Uh, food also uh, stops you from getting kind of crabby if your blood sugar is getting low. So I think that having food is a, a really good way of communicating, especially, you know, I. I like when you're eating from one common bowl. So because everybody's taking from the same bowl. Uh, and I think that there's a powerful symbolism in that. And again, this is if you're interested in uh, you know, sharing information and sharing views and trying to persuade. So uh, he brought food. He then asked each person in the group to share their personal history with guns and how it formed their current opinion. And note how powerful it is to ask you ask each person to share their personal experience. This can be a powerful springboard to having meaningful discussions. Again, meet people where they're at. 
He then asked everyone, how will we know when we will have unquestionably fixed the problem of guns? So by phrasing it this way, he sent a message that he was not making value judgments. And he also helped the group work towards a common goal. So again, he said, how will we know we have unquestionably fixed the problem of guns? Meaning that let's all work together to come up to the answer to this. So keep that in mind. So again, if you are in a field where you are training to go out and educate people about why vaccines need to be uh, mandatory. Um, if you come out charged with you're wrong and this is why you're wrong and here's the data, people that are adamantly anti-vaccine will not go that route. And there's also another study, I don't think I cited in the article, but there's a study that said that if someone was adamantly anti-vaccination and uh, people that were trying to speak on mandatory vaccination showed anti-vaccination people pictures of kids that were sick with the measles or mumps from not getting their MMR vaccine. That actually made anti-vaccine people even more anti-vaccine, interestingly enough. So, so pictures of kids that were sick from the diseases that vaccines are meant to prevent, that made anti-vaccine people even more entrenched in their beliefs against vaccines. So if you are in a field where you, it's your job to go out and educate the public, like public health uh, awareness and for mandatory vaccines, you really need to find out where people are coming from and why they have these certain beliefs. Now, part of it is that there's a lot of misinformation spread online and social media. Uh, I just read an article, it was in the New York Times, about how much money is still being crowdfunded by anti-vaccine groups on Facebook, even though Facebook uh, has tried to uh, remove a lot of those anti-vaccine groups. So there's still a powerful social effect. And again, that gets into that thing I was telling you about, about if your social community is so against or for something, it's very hard for you to, to identify beliefs outside of that and entertain those beliefs and entertain the fact that you might not have the correct information when you've got peers reinforcing it. And Groups know this, and that's why they go on to Facebook and they spread misinformation. So uh, we saw this in other areas, too, where there's a lot of mis misinformation spread uh, by Facebook you know, around the 2016 elections in the U.S. So, again, people know that this is a very um, persuasive way to get people to go towards, you know, the, the purpose is polarizing people and getting them to go towards one belief or another and not having a middle ground because... Uh, the idea is that if you get people so polarized, things break apart and chaos happens. And and unfortunately, sometimes people live t for chaos and to see things disintegrate because then they can get control over people easier that way. So, so again, if you are in a position where you need to educate people, um, let's say that you're supposed to educate people about um, the importance of mandatory vaccines. Again, um, the study I read said that you need to really look at how you're presenting your information. Because again, the more emotional you are with your information, or the more you look at it as I'm the expert and you're not, the less likely the people that are anti-vaccine are going to entertain the idea of mandatory vaccines being necessary. So the, the idea is you really need to know where people are coming from and where these beliefs came from, what the background is, and then have a discussion with them about their beliefs. And that's one of the most effective ways to actually talk with people 
and to inform them about the data that is around is that again you, you need to not present it as hey i'm the expert and you're not and how could you think this this is wrong and using scare tactics that does not work again that gets people more entrenched in their beliefs and and again with the dunning kruger effect people are not a, able to identify that they're not an expert or that they have erroneous information so again meet people where they're at find out why they have the belief system they do and sometimes it's a lot easier to come to a common ground. Now there are people uh, in Buster Benson's book, he actually mentions there are people that it's kind of pointless to talk about your views with them because they're so far out on one end of the spectrum, the spectrum of opinion, not, not autism spectrum. So they're so far out on the end of the spectrum of belief system that there's nothing you can do. You can't even have rational discussion. He said, you know, that's different. Uh, these are people that otherwise seem to be fairly rational. And again, you need to look at where that belief system came from, speak with them on an equal level. And again, rather than looking at it as I'm the expert and you're not. So when a majority of people are willing to have a discussion about these issues, that's when change happens. And a common theme of respect prevails in these kind of discussions. So you may not agree with someone's opinion or you may find it even dangerous, but it's important that you respect that they have the right to have that opinion, uh, even if you feel it's wrong. And again, keep in mind that with this cognitive bias, they may feel that you're bogus or that you have fake data. And, uh, and again, it's sometimes that's been reinforced by the media they watch or the, uh, the, the peer group that they're in. So again, listen to where they're coming from, find out why they have that belief system and just go from there. You have to develop rapport with someone instead of just coming in saying, here's some scare tactics on why you need to, you know, be pro vaccination, um, or wh whatever else is you're arguing for. Uh, you need to really know where they come from, the, the systemic beliefs that happen, um, and why that is. So again, uh, as much as it might really bug you that, that people are telling you stuff about something you really don't agree with, it's important to hear that because again, we need to connect with people in order to really have an open dialogue and to share information, to share the data that you have. So again, that's the Dunning-Kruger effect. So Again, that's, uh, let me spell that for you. It's D-U-N-N-I-N-G dash Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R effect. And again, this is kind of the opposite of imposter syndrome. This is where you, where people think they know more than they actually do. And again, they're more likely to believe uh, non-expert people over experts. And a lot of this gets into, a lot of people don't like having their, their cognitive beliefs challenged. Uh, and unconsciously they fight them because it really throws their belief system into a kind of, of disruption. And uh, we talk about this, or I mentioned this in the, in the book, Gaslighting, uh, that like in cults, if there's a certain belief system, it's very hard for people who have been indoctrinated into cults to adopt a different belief system because that throws everything that they know uh, into question. And that's a lot for a lot of brains to process. So that is part of the Dunning-Kruger effect is that if you look at a deeper level, it's because it's so hard to also 
have this concept of stop loss, which that means that as humans, we have a really difficult time realizing we've invested a lot of time and effort into something and finally putting an end to it. It's kind of like an unhealthy relationship that uh, you put two years in unhealthy relationships so you're not going to give it up because you already put two years in. So you sink another five years in, another 10 years in. So instead of cutting your losses. And being confronted with material or information that changes that view and possibly makes you start entertaining the fact that you may have devoted a lot of time and energy to a cause that is not rooted in fact, uh, it's almost like your mind has a block against that. So uh, again, we need, really need to meet people where they're at and find out why they have the beliefs that they do and work from there. And again, developing that rapport, developing that relationship with people is really important. Even if you don't agree with them, just having mutual respect. And again, like Buster Brown mentions in his book, uh, there are going to be people that are on the end of the, of the spectrum of opinion and, and they can be quite irrational and talking with them uh, may not do much good because they get so entrenched and they really cannot process at all uh, rational information. But majority of people are somewhere on that rational spectrum. So again, really important to develop rapport instead of just coming at people with information and telling them um, that you're the expert and this is why you know this. And, um, and again, I think it's really important just to share opinions, even if we don't agree with each other, just so we can entertain other ideas. And again, it, you have to present yourself as willing to listen to someone and that you are not judging. And even if you really want to judge because you think the other person's opinion is totally out of line, it's really important to not judge and just listen. I think that's what a lot of people need is just someone to listen. And I don't know, you may find that they, they have some valid reasons for their belief. So um, it, it's really interesting once we get to know people. And, and I think when, when we have such a different opinion from other people, I think there's a tendency to see the, uh, I don't like the term opposing side, but, but a differing opinion. It's easy to stereotype uh, people that have a certain belief or opinion. And I think it's very beneficial to talk with people because you may find that you actually agree with them on some uh, subjects, but you may be way off in others. So I think that, uh, especially now in our political climate, I think there's been a lot of dehumanizing going on. Uh, you know, there's an us and a them. And Tony Qualieri, Dr. Qualieri talked about tribalism uh, in um, a previous podcast. That's actually one of our highest rated podcasts. You might want to look into that. That's about anxiety, tribalism, and burnout. And the idea that when you have such an opposing view to someone and leaders of those movements and sometimes the people in those movements can dehumanize the other side. So I think it's really important that we get together and talk about why we feel the way we feel and reach some kind of agreement. Even if it's an agreement to disagree and I think really listening to people is one of the ways to bring people together. And again, it doesn't mean you have to agree with an opinion, but I think we really need to give each other common respect. Um, and I know that that can be difficult, especially when you feel like somebody's belief system is not extending respect to other people. So you, you do the best you can. And if, and if you find that you're trying to have an open dialogue and trying to listen with someone and, and they're behaving inappropriately, then it's just time to move on. 
So that was the Dunning-Kruger effect. And again, I have an article on Psychology Day about this. I have it up on my blog too. So that's stephaniesarkis.com slash blog. And you can see the Psychology Day articles and also these, uh, the Talking Brains podcast episodes as well. So I uh, thank you for listening to this episode. And I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Sarkis at stephaniesarkis.com. And please hit subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It's appreciated. Thank you and have a great day.